Chapter Twenty Six of the Alaskan. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. The Alaskan by James Oliver Curwood. Chapter Twenty Six. In the astonishment with which Mary's unexpected presence confused him for a moment, Alan stood at the edge of the trap, staring down at her pale face, heedless of the terrific gunfire that was assailing the cabin. That she had not gone with Keok and Navadlook, but had come back to him, filled him with instant dread, for the precious minutes he had fought were lost, and the priceless time gained during the parley with Rosland counted for nothing. She saw his disappointment and his danger, and sprang up to seize his hand and pull him down beside her. "'Of course you didn't expect me to go,' she said in a voice that no longer trembled or betrayed excitement. "'You didn't want me to be a coward. My place is with you.' He could make no answer to that, with her beautiful eyes looking at him as they were, but he felt his heart grow warmer, and something rise up chokingly in his throat. Sokwenna is dead, and Rosland lies out there, shot under a flag of truce, he said. We can't have many minutes left to us. He was looking at the square of light where the tunnel from the cellar pit opened into the ravine. He had planned to escape through it alone, and keep up a fight in the open, but with Mary at his side it would be a desperate gauntlet to run. "'Where are Keok and Navadlok?' he asked. "'On the tundra, hurrying for the mountains. I told them it was your plan that I should return to you. When they doubted, I threatened to give myself up unless they did as I commanded them. And Alan—' The ravine is filled with the rain mist and dark. She was holding his free hand closely to her breast. It is our one chance, he said. And aren't you glad, a little glad, that I didn't run away without you? Even then he saw the sweet and tremulous play of her lips as they smiled at him in the gloom, and heard the soft note in her voice that was almost playfully chiding and the glory of her love, as she had proved it to him there, drew from him what he knew to be the truth. Yes, I am glad. It is strange that I should be so happy in a moment like this, if they will give us a quarter of an hour. He led the way quickly to the square of light, and was first to creep forth into the thick mist. It was scarcely rain, yet he could feel the wet particles of it, and through this saturated gloom, whining bullets cut like knives over his head. The blazing cabin illuminated the open on each side of Sequena's place, but deepened the shadows in the ravine, and a few seconds later they stood hand in hand in the blanket of fog that hid the coulee. Suddenly the shots grew scattering above them, then ceased entirely. This was not what Alan had hoped for. 
Graham's men, enraged and made desperate by Rosalind's death, would rush the cabin immediately. Scarcely had the thought leaped into his mind when he heard swiftly approaching shouts, the trampling of feet, and then the battering of some heavy object at the barricaded door of Sokwenna's cabin. In another minute or two their escape would be discovered, and a horde of men would pour down into the ravine. Mary tugged at his hand. Let us hurry up, she pleaded. What happened then seemed madness to the girl, for Alan turned, and with her hand held tightly in his, started up the side of the ravine, apparently in the face of their enemies. Her heart throbbed with sudden fear when their course came almost within the circle of light made by the burning cabin. Like shadows they sped into the deeper shelter of the corral buildings, and not until they paused there did she understand the significance of the hazardous chance they had taken. Already Graham's men were pouring into the ravine. "'They won't suspect we've doubled on them until it's too late,' said Alan exultantly. "'We'll make for the kloof.' Stampede and the herdsmen should arrive within a few hours, and uh, when that happens... A stifled moan interrupted him. Half a dozen paces away, a crumpled figure lay huddled against one of the corral gates. He's hurt, whispered Mary after a moment of silence. I hope so, replied Alan pitilessly. It will be unfortunate for us if he lives to tell his comrades we have passed this way. Something in his voice made the girl shiver. It was as if the vanishing point of mercy had been reached, and savages were at their backs. She heard the wounded man moan again as they stole through the deeper shadows of the corrals toward the niggerhead bottom. And then she noticed that the mist was no longer in her face. The sky was clearing. She could see Alan more clearly and when they came to the narrow trail over which they had fled once before that night, it reached out ahead of them like a thin, dark ribbon. Scarcely had they reached this point when a rifle shot sounded not far behind. It was followed by a second and a third, and after that came a shout. It was not a loud shout. There was something strained and ghastly about it, and yet it came distinctly to them. The wounded man, said Alan in a voice of dismay, is calling the others. I should have killed him. He travelled at a half-trot, and the girl ran lightly at his side. All her courage and endurance had returned. She breathed easily and quickened her steps, so that she was setting the pace for Alan. They passed along the crest of the ridge under which lay the willows and the pool, and at the end of this they paused to rest and listen. Trained to the varied night whisperings of the tundras, Alan's ears caught faint sounds which his companion did not hear. The wounded man had succeeded in giving his message, and pursuers were scattering over the plain behind them. "'Can you run a little farther?' he asked. "'Where?' He pointed, and she darted ahead of him her dark hair streaming in a cloud that began to catch a faint luster of increasing light. Alan ran a little behind her. He was afraid of the light. Only gloom had saved them this night, 
and if the darkness of mist and fog and cloud gave way to clear twilight and the sun-glow of approaching day before they reached the kloof he would have to fight in the open with stampede at his side he would have welcomed such an opportunity of matching rifles with their enemies for there were many vantage points in the open tundra from which they might have defied assault but the nearness of the girl frightened him she after all was the hunted thing he was only an incident from him could be exacted nothing more than the price of death he would be made to pay that as aquena had paid for her remained the unspeakable horror of graham's lust and passion but if they could reach the kloof and the hiding-place in the face of the cliff they could laugh at graham's pack of beasts while they waited for the swift vengeance that would come with stampede and the herdsmen he watched the sky it was clearing steadily even the mists in the hollows were beginning to melt away and in place of their dissolution came faintly rose-tinted lights it was the hour of dawn the sun sent a golden glow over the disintegrating curtain of gloom that still lay between it and the tundras, and objects a hundred paces away no longer held shadow or illusionment. The girl did not pause, but continued to run lightly, and with surprising speed, heeding only the direction which he gave her. Her endurance amazed him and he knew that without questioning him she had guessed the truth of what lay behind them. Then all at once she stopped, swayed like a reed, and would have fallen if his arms had not caught her. "'Splendid!' he cried. She lay gasping for breath, her face against his breast. Her heart was a swiftly beating little dynamo. They had gained the edge of a shallow ravine that reached within half a mile of the kloof. It was this shelter he had hoped for, and Mary's splendid courage had won it for them. He picked her up in his arms and carried her again, as he had carried her through the niggerhead bottom. Every minute, every foot of progress counted now. Range of vision was widening, pools of sunlight were flecking the plains. In another quarter of an hour moving objects would be distinctly visible a mile away. With his precious burden in his arms, her lips so near that he could feel their breath, her heart throbbing, he became suddenly unconscious of the incongruity of the bird song that was wakening all about them. It seemed inconceivable that this day, glorious in its freshness and welcomed by the glad voice of all living things, should be a day of tragedy, of horror, and of impending doom for him. He wanted to shout out his protest and say that it was all a lie, and it seemed absurd that he should handicap himself with the weight and inconvenient bulk of his rifle when his arms wanted to hold only that softer treasure which they bore. In a little while Mary was travelling at his side again, and from then on he climbed at intervals to the higher swellings of the gully edge and scanned the tundra. Twice he saw men, and from their movements he concluded their enemies believed they were hidden somewhere on the tundra not far from the range-houses. 
three quarters of an hour later they came to the end of the shallow ravine and half a mile of level plain lay between them and the kloof for a space they rested and in this interval mary smoothed her long hair and plaited it in two braids in these moments alan encouraged her but he did not lie he told her the half-mile of tundra was their greatest hazard and described the risks they would run carefully he explained what she was to do under certain circumstances there was scarcely a chance they could cross it unobserved but they might be so far ahead of the searchers that they could beat them out to the kloof if enemies appeared between them and the kloof it would be necessary to find a dip or shelter of rock and fight and if pursuers from behind succeeded in outstripping them in the race she was to continue in the direction of the kloof as fast as she could go while he followed more slowly holding graham's men back with his rifle until she reached the edge of the gorge after that he would come to her as swiftly as he could run they started within five minutes they were on the floor of the tundra about them in all directions stretched the sunlit plains half a mile back toward the range were moving figures farther west were others and eastward almost at the edge of the ravine were two men who would have discovered them in another moment if they had not descended into the hollow alan could see them kneeling to drink at the little coulee which ran through it don't hurry he said with a sudden swift thought keep parallel with me and at distance away they may not discover you are a woman and possibly may think we are searchers like themselves stop when i stop follow my movements yes sir now in the sunlight she was not afraid her cheeks were flushed her eyes bright as stars as she nodded at him her face and hands were soiled with muck stain her dress spotted and torn and looking at her thus alan laughed and cried out softly you beautiful little vagabond she sent the laugh back a soft sweet laugh to give him courage and after that she watched him closely falling in with his scheme so cleverly that her action was better than his own and so they had made their way over a third of the plain when alan came toward her suddenly and cried now run a glance showed her what was happening the two men had come out of the ravine and were running toward them swift as a bird she was ahead of alan making for a pinnacle of rock which he had pointed out to her at the edge of the kloof close behind her he said don't hesitate a second keep on going when they are a little nearer i am going to kill them but you mustn't stop at intervals he looked behind him the two men were gaining rapidly he measured the time when less than two hundred yards would separate them then he drew close to mary's side see that level place ahead we'll cross it in another minute or two when they come to it i'm going to stop and catch them where they can't find shelter but you must keep on going i'll overtake you by the time you reach the edge of the kloof she made no answer but ran faster 
and when they had passed the level space she heard his footsteps growing fainter and her heart was ready to choke her when she knew the time had come for him to turn upon their enemies but in her mind burned the low words of his command his warning and she did not look back but kept her eyes on the pinnacle of rock which was now very near she had almost reached it when the first shot came from behind her without making a sound that would alarm her. Alan had stumbled and made pretense of falling. He lay upon his face for a moment as if stunned, and then rose to his knees. An instant too late, Graham's men saw his ruse when his leveled rifle gleamed in the sunshine. The speed of their pursuit was their undoing. Trying to catch themselves so that they might use their rifles or fling themselves upon the ground, they brought themselves into a brief but deadly interval of inaction. And in that flash one of the men went down under Alan's first shot. Before he could fire again, the second had flattened himself upon the earth, and swift as a fox, Alan was on his feet and racing for the kloof. Mary stood with her back against the huge rock, gasping for breath, when he joined her. A bullet sang over their heads with its angry menace. He did not return the fire, but drew the girl quickly behind the rock. "'He won't dare to stand up until the others join him,' he encouraged her. "'We're beating them to it, little girl. If you can keep up a few minutes longer.' She smiled at him, even as she struggled to regain her breath. It seemed to her there was no way of descending into the chaos of rock between the gloomy walls of the kloof, and she gave a little cry when Alan caught her by her hands and lowered her over the face of a ledge to a table-like escarpment below. He laughed at her fear when he dropped down beside her and held her close as they crept back under the shelving face of the cliff to a hidden path that led downward with a yawning chasm at their side. The trail widened as they descended, and at the last they reached the bottom, with the gloom and shelter of a million-year-old crevasse hovering over them. Grim and monstrous rocks, black and slippery with age, lay about them, and among these they picked their way, while the trickle and drip of water and the flesh-like clamminess of the air sent a strange shiver of awe through Mary Standish. There was no life here, only an age-old whisper that seemed a part of death. And when voices came from above, where Graham's men were gathering, they were ghostly and far away. But here, too, was refuge and safety. Mary could feel it as they picked their way through the chill and gloom that lay in the silent passages between the Gargantuan rocks. When her hands touched their naked sides, an uncontrollable impulse made her shrink closer to Alan, even though she sensed the protection of their presence. They were like colossi, carved by hands long dead, and now guarded by spirits, whose voices guttered low and secretly in the mysterious drip and trickle of unseen water. This was the haunted place. In this chasm death and vengeance had glutted themselves long before she was born, and when a rock crashed behind them, accidentally sent down by one of the men above, a cry broke from her lips. 
She was frightened, and in a way she had never known before. It was not death she feared here, nor the horror from which she had escaped above, but something unknown and indescribable for which she would never be able to give a reason. She clung to Alan, and when at last the narrow fissure widened over their heads and light came down and softened their way, he saw that her face was deathly white. We are almost there, he comforted, and some day you will love this gloomy kloof as I love it, and we will travel it together all the way to the mountains. A few minutes later, they came to an avalanche of broken sandstone that was heaped halfway up by the face of the precipitous wall, and up this climbed until they came to a level shelf of rock, and back of this was a great depression in the rock, forty feet deep and half as wide, with a floor as level as a table and covered with soft white sand. Mary would never forget her first glimpse of this place. It was unreal, strange, as if a band of outlaw fairies had brought the white sand for a carpet and had made this their hiding place, where wind and rain and snow could never blow. And up the face of the cavern, as if to make her thought more real, led a ragged fissure which it seemed to her only fairies' feet could travel, and which ended at the level of the plain. So they were tundra fairies, coming down from flowers and sunlight through that fissure, and it was from the evil spirits in the kloof itself that they must have hidden themselves. Something in the humor and gentle thought of it all made her smile at Alan. But his face had turned suddenly grim, and she looked up the kloof where they had traveled through danger and come to safety, and then she saw that which froze all thought of fairies out of her heart. Men were coming through the chaos and upheaval of rock. There were many of them appearing out of the darker neck of the gorge into the clearer light, and at their head was a man upon whom Mary's eyes fixed themselves in horror. White-faced she looked at Alan. He had guessed the truth. "'That man in the front?' he asked. She nodded. "'Yes.' "'Is John Graham?' He heard the words choking in her throat. "'Yes, John Graham.' He swung his rifle slowly, his eyes burning with a steely fire. I think, he said, that from here I can easily kill him. Her hand touched his arm. She was looking into his eyes. Fear had gone out of them, and in its place was a soft and gentle radiance, a prayer to him. I am thinking of tomorrow. The next day, the years and years to come, with you, she whispered, Alan, you can't kill John Graham, not until God shows us it is the only thing left for us to do. You can't. The crash of a rifle between the rock walls in interrupted her. The snarl of a bullet followed the shot. She heard it strike. 
and her heart stopped beating and the rigidity of death came into her limbs and body as she saw the swift and terrible change in the stricken face of the man she loved he tried to smile at her even as a red blot came where the streak of grey in his hair touched his forehead and then he crumpled down at her feet and his rifle rattled against the rocks she knew it was death something seemed to burst in her head and fill her brain with the roar of a flood she screamed even the men below hesitated and their hearts jumped with a new sensation as the terrible cry of a woman rang between the rock walls of the chasm and following the cry a voice came down to them john graham i'm going to kill you kill you and snatching up the fallen rifle mary standish set herself to the task of vengeance end of chapter twenty six of the alaskan by james oliver curwood read by lars rolander